this is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam Adano. And you're listening to episode 108 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Auspicious numbering. I know. I know. Special episode 108. For 108. the are 108 ch- Gopinots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, have you been chanting the Krishna, the Hari Rama? Never heard of it. What are you talking about? Hari Krishna. <laughs> yeah, so episode 108. And... um. We're here uh, under lock and key. <laughs> yeah, I want to assure our listeners who might suddenly be concerned, we are not in the same room. We are Skyping this episode because uh, Josh is on lockdown in Philly and I'm on lockdown in Lehigh Valley. Though, to be fair, I say lockdown loosely. Josh, you're still working. Yeah, yeah. turns out health services, when you work in a hospital, there's no such thing as pandemic vacation. You're just kind of just working every day. So the only difference yeah. now is that uh, I drink more coffee, and sure. uh, my glove budget and mask budget is through the roof. But other than that, it's business as usual. So, you know. I, I got to say, respect a lot of people I know who are home quarantined are like full-time job-having parents. So this is definitely not vacation time for them. This is how do I amuse my kids long enough that I can do this meeting uh, on Zoom or whatever. So like big ups. Uh, for those of you who are underemployed enough uh, to be having fun right now, I say uh, word up and a little bit of a screw you. Uh, <laughs> screw you right now because you have time to watch movies, which is what I wish I was doing. But uh, word up, solidarity, you're going to be broke soon, just like I'm going to be broke soon. And that sucks. <laughs> well, and also big up to those like me that are stuck in the trenches fighting it out for however long your shifts are. Yep. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know. We can uh, navigate the day until everybody else is working like us poor schlubs. So, you know, <laughs> keep your head up. I mean, y'all. I got I got I got to say, like, if you are working, if you're if you're still out there kicking it and you're in a non-essential job, you know, maybe take some time to think about if it, it might be time for a career change, you know. But like a maybe friend of the right show, now. like friend of the show, Garrett Smith often asks, how's your how's your capitalist dystopia treating you today? And, exactly, uh, exactly. Mine's exactly as it was uh, last week, so, you know. <laughs> Mine is not. If if people are worried about my, you know, I've said it on the show before, but as a diabetic, I'm uh, immunocompromised, so I need to be a little more careful than maybe some other people feel that they need to be. Uh, you know, my substitute job is basically done. Um, the schools aren't even sure if they're going to come back this year, so, uh, you know. There's a feeling ESS is like, I don't know, apply for unemployment. What, what do you want from me? <laughs> so we'll see what happens. And then the library is closed. They're going to pay us for the at least the next two weeks. That was already budgeted. But after that, it's kind of hard to say what's going to happen. So, you know, but that's we're not pretending we're unique in all that. Uh, this is what's going on or across the country and around the world. People are trying to stay safe trying to stay healthy but also wondering how they're going to pay their bills yeah man it's a pickle i'll say but again keep your head up peoples we're going to do our best and we're going to get through this together and i'm going to say um uh now would be a good time to develop some (laughs) radical politics I'm just saying, you know, the whole the whole reason we all like the system is that it keeps us safe and healthy. But clearly it's not actually capable of doing that. So, you know, if if you've ever thought, you know, I'd be into some crazy leftist ideas, but, you know, I'm just so comfortable the way things are. Well, 
guess what, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not pushing anybody. Do what you want to do. But, you know, now it's just a time while you're home, not making money, wondering if you're going to get sick. Now would be a good time to read, uh, you know, some stuff and think about it. A book That's or all. two. That's all. You got time. It's cool. Yeah. I myself stocked uh, up on a bunch of uh, Aaron Comet Buzz fanzines before the lockdown. So uh, <laughs> I have a bunch of zines to read. And uh, yeah, he doesn't handwrite them anymore, it turns out. Yeah, they're all typed now. So that's cool. But um, Oh, that must be a lot easier to read. It's definitely easier to read. It's just, you know, a lot longer stories and more writing now. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, I love Aaron Comet Bus. Don't get it twisted. That guy's like, he's one of those cultural icons that like, for me, has dictated a lot of how I view things like punk. And uh, man, I love wow. Aaron Comet Bus. I don't know what your relationship with Comet Bus is, but he is like one uh, of my you favorite. You loan me, you loan me one of the compendiums. That's my relationship to. to Whoa! Comet did Bus. you read it though? I did. It's so good. I thought it was good, oh, but you know, I that whole world, like his, the world that he just feels. And you tell me if I'm wrong with this. He feels a lot closer to that. Uh, that fest world than I am, you know, uh, a little bit. I mean, like he's he's old school from like the East Bay, you know what I mean? Like so, like there's a tour journal that he had published about his like first like some of those um, Green Day tours, like when they started, <laughs> and he was like their roadie. There's this one really poignant moment when he quits the tour because they wanted to go to Denny's and he wanted to keep on eating peanut butter sandwiches in the back of the van. <laughs> it's amazing. He's just perfect. I, I love his writing and I love him and I love his bands. And man, if you guys aren't down with the comic bus stuff, you should definitely look it up. There's so much to read. There's like the omnibus, which is like, despite everything, I think that's the name of it. And it's like 600 something pages and it's all handwritten. It's lovely. But then, like, he's still putting out single issues, you know? He's up to, like, issue 55 or or maybe, like, 58 now, something like that. And it's all really, really fun. And it's cool, you know? So, yeah. So, if you need something to read, um, go to your local anarchist bookstore and pick up any uh, comic books that you may find. And I promise you it'll be a time. <laughs> well, speaking of things that we want people to check out, we should probably uh say this episode of course is brought to you by all of our patreon supporters during this pandemic time we'd really like to offer our patreon supporters more content so we're going to try to do that but as we were talking about uh you know josh is still working uh my man justin laura is still working um i'm not working but they you know closed the child care so now i'm Mr. Mom, yeah. um, because while my wife doesn't have to go to the office, there's still church stuff for her to do, uh, as well as other things. She actually did this awesome thing where there's a, a woman in the area who used to work in the library, but she hosts like a really popular story hour at this local bookshop called uh, Book and Puppet or something like that. It's a really charming bookstore, and uh, she hosts a story hour for kids. But of course, you know, quarantine, no story hour. My wife, Susan, organized a Zoom story hour that uh, something like 30, 40 families like signed on to, to to watch. So that was super inspiring that she just had this idea and everyone was on board and it became like a community thing. Like, I don't know. She's a real go getter. That's Susan. So anyways, it's it's I don't have the the all this free time that I thought I would have. You know, it's like, oh, we'll be quarantined. I'm going to get a lot of content done for Cinepunks. And instead, it's like 
Well, hopefully, me and Josh could get this one recording done this week. Yay! That said, if if under lockdown you guys want to do something like a team stream and we watch like a movie together and we're all yes. on like like something like a Zoom app or whatever, like Skype, <clears throat> dude, hit us up. Hit us up on the Twitters, on the Instagrams, or wherever else uh, you could get in touch with us, which I guess is everywhere. And let's yeah. talk about it, man, because I would definitely be down to do like a team watch of something and just you know talk shit well, the whole time. Well, I know Justin is definitely whether we're on board or not organizing something for our business. I don't know what his it's he's going to do it on his schedule, and hopefully we can jump on too. But I don't know what the plan is because he's just going to try to get it done. Um, I think some of the other shows have talked about doing some YouTube stuff or doing some stuff. So we'll try to get that organized. Like I said, our main way to organize stuff right now is virtual. We don't see each other in real life, so uh, you know people are just a little stressed right now. So it's hard to get that communication out, but. I think um, uh, I think we're gonna have some cool social media stuff. I will say, just yesterday, I jumped on Instagram Live just to chat with people. At first, it was like not that many people, but over the course of uh, half an hour, it was like a good 35, 40 people jumped on. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah? uh, a few fr- few friends of the show. Yeah, like no one jumps on it all at once or just for bits, but. What was good is that people were interacting and asking questions, and we were talking about stuff, and that was fun. So if you're one of those people, what up? Thanks for being supportive. And uh, we might try that again sometime, just, like, get some folks together and whatever, just to, like, help all of us feel like we're not alone. Because it's it's hard not to feel – especially if you're someone like me who's an extreme extrovert. It's really hard to be shut up, you know? So, um, but for for, (laughs) – It's also coincidentally hard for Liam to shut up, so – to be uh, shut up and to shut up. These are two very difficult things for your boy over here. So come on, yo, y'all, show Josh, some love. When we're not on the mic, Josh is all love and, and sweet. <laughs> He's all like, oh, buddy, I miss you. Oh, it's so great, whatever. As soon as we get on the mic, it's like, this jerk off over here. <laughs> oh, man, what? It doesn't mean I don't um, miss you. I just think it, you know, it lends itself to poetry, your words, Liam. That's what it is. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. <laughs> And I will say, though, I am a little busy during this quarantine time. Um, if you do, if you are waiting for something, if you're on our Patreon and you're waiting for a T-shirt or some other materials uh, or something else on our benefits, hit us up. Uh, sometimes people get like nervous about asking for stuff, um, and I appreciate that. I mean, don't yell at us, but uh, <laughs> but if you were waiting for something and we didn't get to you yet, just let me know. It's just a stressful time, but I I, I want to make sure if you're supporting us that you're getting what you have signed up for. Uh, I mean, we also that said, say, if you do want to yell at us, feel free to yell at me. It's okay. Sure. I do that professionally. 40 hours a week have people yelling at me, and uh, I promise I mean, you I, probably feel better, and I can give you orange juice afterwards maybe. I would prefer people yell at us about our content rather than yeah. yell at us because I forgot to send them a shirt. But if you don't like something we said on the show and you want to yell at us, that's great, actually. I love that energy. We should probably set up a call-in line so people can leave us mean <laughs> voicemails. I think that'd be sick. Man, who are we? Howard Stern? Doesn't he have a call-in line? That's like radio, man. Please. It's different world, Liam. Different world. I don't know. But we could actually play But we can actually play offensive things. I guess he can now, right? Because he's on satellite. I think he can do anything on satellite. I think you can do anything if you're Harold Stern. Well, that's probably true, actually. I don't really uh, know. We also want to thank our good friends at the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations uh, Company. Um, they are actually, much like everyone else in Pennsylvania, closed 
for a couple of weeks because of the shutdown, but um, you can still check out their website. And as soon as they're up and running again, they can screen print whatever you need, whether you need T-shirts for your band or you need uh, hoodies for your podcast or you need um, cod pieces for your <laughs> uh, LARPing group. Whatever it is, they can screen print it for you and help you out. So go to xlvacx.com and check them out. You just offered people to get their cod pieces screen printed by Chris Reject. Yeah, dog. <laughs> and he won't say no either. I would. I, in fact, this is a challenge. If someone can come up with something that Chris Reject won't do that he could do, but he's offended at the idea of doing it. If you come up with anything like that, I guess it's not true because he wouldn't do um, white power stuff, and I don't want anyone to hit him with that because that's yeah, just or like, and I wouldn't want Chris Reject to screen print a dog. You know, come on, man, please. Well, that's Have just not in the realm of possibility. Yeah. But he could screen print a cod piece. <laughs> Maybe we should make some Cinepunk's cod, Cinepunk's cod pieces. Cinepunk's cod pieces. I almost said uh, Cinepunk's cod pugs, <laughs> which is so the name of my new my new band. That's my new. I love band. it. That's a good band. It's a good band. Cinepunk's cod pugs. Nice. I love it, man. We're coming really to good. wreck your town. It's gonna be a hip hop band. Oh, is it? I don't know. That's what I think of. Just saying. But Cinepunk's anyway, these cod punks. You're saying like a you're saying like a face tattoo, lazy rap. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like this. It'd be really, really fun. Uh, <laughs> but only wearing nuclear assault T-shirts. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. I'm kind of into that actually. It's a hard look. Same. So, Josh, what are we talking about on this episode of Cinepunks? So this week on Cinepunks, we've discussed we are going to be discussing two movies by actor Max von Sydow, who is uh, one of the greatest people to ever grace the silver screen, and sadly who uh, has passed away last week. So um, I know it's like that's like not a happy thing to talk about, but also it's like, dude, I can't really state understate the joy that Max von Sydow has given me as a movie fan, yeah. and uh, watching him through like the Bergman movies all the way until like these weird, like to the exorcist and all this other stuff. The deed was an amazing actor. Probably one well, of my think, favorites. Yeah. I think for us, it's about showing a certain amount of respect to like, we could just not cover Max von Sydow, but it just seemed like a way for us to indicate how much we respect him and how much his work has mattered to us across so many films. Uh, again, across like you so said, many genres like, dude, he was in strange brew. Like that's insane oh. to me. Yeah, it's that was one of the genius. things I asked people like what they wanted us to talk about, and one of the things was his his role in Strange Brew. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what your relationship with Strange Brew is, Liam, but uh, I find it to be a comedy masterpiece. Just saying, and uh, way into it. Wow, you know? what a what a brave thing for you to say. Hey, man, I, I I'm not anything if not brave. But um, yeah, that saying again, like, dude. Just, think about the footprint that this dude has left on cinema in general and it's insane it really is such a grand breadth you know what i mean like and the world lost one of the greatest actors of all time with his passing so that's what we decided we're going to talk about for this week for cinepunks we'll be talking about three days of the condor and the, the night, night visitor. visitor. Yeah. Now I I chose these. I just wanted to say I think some people who are huge uh, Max von Sydow fans might be amazed I didn't go with a Bergman movie. But I think it's because 
Bergman is like a continuing topic we want to cover on this show. Like yeah. we did that Bergman double and we have plans to do more Bergman. So I feel like we'll cover his work in Bergman films pretty easily. And then when it was, then the other option would be some of his like uh, smaller roles in bigger genre films. Um, a lot of people remember him fondly, again, not just from The Exorcist, but from like Dune or yeah. Conan or any number of films. And, and I just felt like, those were also films that we would cover otherwise because we love them. Like we love those movies. They'll come up again. I specifically was like, what are two well-reviewed Max von Sydow movies that I've never seen? That, <laughs> and in fact, in the case of The Night Visitor, I had never even heard of. Yeah. So um, I just figured it was like, let's just take a chance and see see what happens. Uh, and, you know, uh, I feel mostly good about that decision yeah I, you know what though i really i mean you know i definitely enjoyed um three days of the condor more than night visitor but we'll get into that we'll get into that before that we have something we need to do though what's the thing i mean it's not There's a, a thing, a thing we that we do. need to do it's a thing that you know the world asks us to do demands really demands. i mean it's really it's a thing that why the this wor- show exists <laughs> it's, it truly is one of the main motivators for us sitting on opposite ends of the state with headphones sure, and microphones sure. in front of our faces for yeah what is that thing called liam what what would you call uh, that thing it's got two and they it's two words hmm. it's just technically three words but i think of one of them as one word when it's two <laughs> all uh, right it kind it kind of rhymes it kind of rocks and it kind of rolls. I think it's called Whack It, it on, on Track. Yeah, that was really good, Liam. Did you know that we were recording today? Were you aware? What are you What are you talking about? <laughs> I killed it. You're the one who's holding us back. <laughs> it's true. It's true in life and in podcasting. I just I just killed it. I just yeah. I was very good. We're gonna get emails later. People are gonna write in like, "Hey guys, I just want to let you know that particular whacking on track." Liam was like really on point, and Josh, you know, just keep trying, buddy. Yeah, man, I'm doing the best that I can. Just know that. So, <laughs> college boy. <laughs> so anyway, Liam, what have you done recently that was whack and or on track? I'll tell you what. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised about this. Yeah, I know. They, just go ahead and just say it, man. Just say it. Not a lot has been going on. I've been busy trying to deal with all this crazy uh, plague stuff, you know, and, and life. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I, not just with, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to have work. Uh, I wasn't sure what was going to stay open, if we were going to have daycare. I had a uh, preaching engagement, a guest preaching engagement that I wasn't sure if it was going to happen or not. And then, you know, a few of the shows and stuff that I have wanted to go to just didn't seem like smart to go, whether things got canceled, but not everything got canceled. Like that Friday 13th screening, I think, still happened. I thought about going and I just thought, well, if this thing is going to be serious, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to it. I should probably be careful. So I haven't been out of the house much. I have watched a number of things uh, but mostly for podcasts. So you'll hear me talk about them other places. Um, I will mention for Cinema Smorgasbord, uh, we watched Alucarda and the Hills Have Eyes. Oh my God, I, I love re- Alucarda so much. Oh, it's so It's so good. good. It's up it's there with so Malatesta's good. Carnival of Blood for me. Like it's it's one of those like, oh my goodness. I, I know it's not the, not the venue to talk about it, but man, I do love that stuff, man. 
Jesus. I mean, you know, we're not against talking about it. We'll, we'll probably talk about it on this show at some point just because <laughs> it's something we care about. Um, but, we, you know, we'll just decide when we're going to do horror again. But, uh, yeah, it was just cool. Uh, I will say I had I had a feeling that returning to The Hills Have Eyes, I'd have much more appreciation for it. The first time I saw it, it just felt like a very mean movie to me without a point. Uh, and then a lot of people love it and really sort of pushed me like about how much they loved it and how important it was. So I returned to it like really hopeful, like, okay, this is the time it's going to click for me. And no, it didn't click for me. I don't, I don't hate it. And like I said, we'll talk about it more on cinema sports board, but it, it it just wasn't, (laughs) I was just surprised. I I wasn't surprised that I didn't love it, but I was surprised that, um, I kind of disliked it. I don't know. Wow. We'll see. I'll, I'll Wait, think, I'll think about it. Wait, which one was it? It was Hills of Eyes 2 or the first one? No, the first one, the Hills of Eyes. Mm. Yeah. Are you a fan? Are you a... I don't know I about like, your relationship with Wes Craven outside of just Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I liked Hills of Eyes 2. Hills of Eyes 1 was just kind of like an undercooked version of the second one. And I feel like the, the second one just had a lot more to sink your teeth into, you know? And I only say I that because I actually recently watched the second one because it's on Shudder. Uh, big up to Shutter streaming service, and um, yeah, I watched it recently, and it still does it for me that for that second one. I don't, I don't even know if I've seen it. I don't even know if I've seen the second one. So maybe I need to po- toss that on because there are some Wes Craven movies that I really don't like at all. But mm. I like a lot of Wes Craven, and so I don't like that one of his most celebrated ones doesn't work for me. But maybe if I watch Hills of Ice 2, I'll like that one more. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But, Take your uh, time. Take your time. Movie-wise, other than that, uh, hasn't really been a lot. I will say I recently finished um, East of West. Did I talk about that on the last episode? I don't no, think I did. the book? I've, yeah, so the, the comic series East of West just finished. That was like one was of your yet, favorite books, right? It, and it was another one I didn't know was over. Um, I just picked up, I think it's issue 36, 35. I'm not sure what the number is, but I just, I went to get my comics. I had a lot of new stuff in there because I'm trying out some new books to try to check stuff out. And then I pulled out East of West first. I said, let me read these because I'm pretty excited about it. And that second, I got two issues. The second one, it was so pretty and it was so much thicker. I knew. Oh, <laughs> You're like, here. it's this over. It. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of had a feeling again. I was kind of caught a little unawares with those other ones. This one I kind of knew, like, oh, we're wrapping up soon. I just wasn't sure how soon was soon. And I got to say, finishing it, I thought it was a perfect ending. I thought they did everything right. I think they thought they ended really well. I thought they really nailed the thematic stuff they've been trying to do. Um, I just think it was really good. And I don't know where else they could have gone. I, I don't know that there's more story to tell there. Mm. Um, so I, it, it felt good. Whereas, you know, um, paper girls was a complete story, but I wanted more of that story, you know, if yeah. that makes sense yep. or, mm-hmm. or the, the wicked and the divine was actually, again, I think it actually ended kind of perfectly, but if there was a spin off of the wicked and divine that was in that same world, but it was a different story, I think I would like that. This is not that at all. This is like, I finished that issue and I'm like, cool, we're done here. Let's move. On. You know what I mean? Yeah. The problem yeah, is yeah, yeah. I just been out of the loop and that's not, that's just on me. And well, that's because of life and everything else. You know, we get yeah. it. And not having a solid shop. I don't have a shop that's like, yo, I go in this shop and they tell me what to get. I don't have that right now. And so I feel a little bit like I got to figure it out on my own. And I don't know what your experience is, but for me, picking comics just by looking at covers is not a fun 
that's not really how I like to do it. No, you know my I mean? favorite method of figuring out what comics I should be reading is talking to a friend of the show and uh, all around great dude, Mr. Good Guy Joe, Joe Turner, who works at Atomic City Comics. And I just go to him. And I'm like, Joe, this is what I'm in. This is what I need right now. Hook me up. And then Joe lets me know what I should be reading based on what I'm telling him I need to read about. And uh, I will always be indebted to Joe for teaching me about the Meta Barons and like uh, the Jodorowsky books and all like with the Mobius stuff and all that. Cause I didn't know anything about it until he's like, yo, the Incall, you got to read that. And then that's how I figured it out. So if anybody's in uh, Atomic City Comics after the plague and need recommendations from books, I would suggest going to talk to Mr. Joe Turner. Yeah, I got to hit Joe up, actually. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but I don't know. I, I also think, like, there's a little bit of my own discernment, too, of, like, what am I in the mood for right now? Well, yeah, um, of course. And that, and that I don't know. Like, I don't really know <laughs> what will what will scratch that itch. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm just sort of, no, I get that. You know, yeah. Do I want to go back to superhero stuff? I haven't read any superhero stuff in a long time. Do I want to do something horror or something totally, like, sci-fi wild? I, I don't even know. I don't know. So it's, you know, it's kind of up in the air, but, um, but yeah, big ups to East of West because that is maybe one of my favorite endings of a comic ever, or at least in a long time. Nice. Nice. East of West. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's about it for me. Like I said, I've, uh, haven't really had time for non podcast related movies per se, uh, although I have been, you know, trying to catch up with some TV with with Suze, and I will say we finished The Outsider, and I really appreciated it. I liked it a lot, and I'm pretty stoked for the return of Westworld. I think I'm going to be excited about that as well. <laughs> nice, nice. That's cool. Yeah, I I never got into Westworld. I tried really hard, and uh, we watched like maybe the first five episodes of season one, and then me and Milani just stopped, and then we never went back. I don't know why. Some people love it. Some people hate it. It's it's interesting how uh, there's different takes on it. I like it so far. I think it's really good. The last two seasons I've been really pretty excited about. But I also know like um, a lot of analysis of TV shows lately, movies too, but a lot of TV shows is like trying to look for a thematic hole, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people don't like something because they don't like it the, the whole thing. And I'm kind of like just amused by it right now. It's it's kind of like how I assume people are watching other things. Yeah. TV, I just have a lower feeling of like uh, if it's just like entertaining, that's okay because it's less – I guess it's technically it's more of a time commitment, but I'm less emotionally connected to it. Mm. Wow. That's a weird way to go about a thing that lasts much longer than a movie, you know? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Something about a movie I'm like much more invested in. It's kind of funny. I get uh, it. To be fair, though, I thought The Outsider was really good, like not just entertaining. Like, I thought it was very, very good. Westworld mm. might be more entertaining than good, and I haven't made my mind up yet. <laughs> fair enough, man. Fair enough. What about uh, you, buddy? So uh, last time we talked, had I discussed uh, Chicago with you? Uh, I don't think, did we talk about Chicago? Hold on. Yeah, we did. We did talk about Chicago. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, that's good. Uh, I managed- I remember because I made a, I made a, I made a butts comment. <laughs> you did. I remember. I remember. Um, so as far as movies go, Melani and I managed to go see a movie called First Cow, which is, uh, the new oh, movie shit. by, uh, director Kelly Reichardt, who directed Ode to Joy, that was starring Bonnie Prince Billy, and mm-hmm. she directed, uh, Wendy and Lucy, the movie starring, um, 
Michelle Williams. Yeah. Yeah. So and um, certain women and Meek's cutoff. Yep. So uh, first cow is uh, the newest one from A24, which um, it turns out, given the whole lathe of pandemia, I don't know if that's a word. Um, they pushed the whole release back, uh, supposedly, from what I understand, like to, to a really long time from now. So um, it kind of bums me out because like when we saw it, I got to see it with, again, Milani, but also uh, Ryan Silverstein and Jill Malcolm of Cinema76.com and the Shame Files podcast. And um, it was one of those movies that was like all lit naturally. And it, had, it was like a pretty small movie. Like uh, it's about these two guys in old timey who are like just kind of trying to survive with their various grifts, you know what I mean? And one dude's like a chef and the other dude is like kind of like a businessman. And we're talking like, you know, um, the early settlement settlement times of, of uh, the Pacific Northwest. And um, movie was uh, pretty compelling. I, I at first like just trying to get past the whole visual of it because it is like a very, you know, like how uh, movies like The Revenant were very dark because they were lit naturally and like, you know, there was a uh, there was minimal. Um, I don't know what the word would be. There's there was like just they didn't really mess with the scenery and stuff very much, and they just kind of sure, yeah. real natural. So this movie has like a lot of that, which made it kind of hard to see for me at times. But uh, as I got further away from the movie, I thought about it a lot more, and uh, I really really enjoyed it. I I thought it was like a really fun and just interesting movie. It's uh, it's it's really good. I enjoyed it very much. So first cow. I'm I'm jealous. I really want to see it. I'm really not sure when it's going to come out, but uh, I definitely think it's a movie worth your time. And um, yeah, give it a minute. It's 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 an interesting uh, heist movie, I'd say. And um, it's one of those movies that like it kind of comes out of nowhere when it hits you, you know, but uh, it's pretty good. I really enjoyed it. So I saw that. And um other than the movies that we watched for this, I didn't see anything else. I don't think that was pretty much it. And uh, everything else got canceled. So that's kind of whack. Sure. Like my uh, improv comedy class recital that I'd been uh, in training for, for the past six Mondays. Um, yeah, that got the, the big old uh, plague axe. So I didn't get to test out my comedy metal <laughs> of uh, improvised comedy making. So were you were you a little stoked that it got canceled, though? Uh, I think a little is a bit of a misnomer. I was totally stoked because let me tell you, uh, here's the thing. Like it's improv, right? So by nature, you can't practice. Now, people have said to me, like, Josh, you're a seasoned performer. Some would say a, a damn professional when it comes to that kind of activity. Why are you worried about this? And here's the thing. Like, even though, you know, yes, when I'm on stage, I'm a god. I make it look effortless. But the fact of the matter is a lot of effort goes into getting to a point where I can do that and make it look effortless. So when I can't rehearse for a public performance of any sort, it drives my anxiety through the roof. And that was where I was at the beginning of this because I was like, oh, man, like we ran. So what we were going to do is known as an Armando. Do you know what that is, Liam? No, I have no idea. So an Armando is uh, the format we're in. A uh, improv troupe is on the stage. They ask the audience for a suggestion. The audience member then provides a suggestion. Turns out the most suggested word in these exercises is the word pineapple for some reason. And I don't know why. There's science. I don't know what it is. But anyway, so uh, audience gives a suggestion. And then the monologist or the one who gives the monologue 
they uh, create a monologue around the suggestion. And then the improv troupe reenacts three pulls. They, they pull three stories from the monologue that they act in front of people. So that that's called an Armando. And then um, a three of them in a row is known as a Herald. So the really good teams can do the Heralds. But like beginners guys like like us, we do the Armando. But we didn't do it because the plague stopped it. So, you know, definitely not a bummer. I mean, I was okay with it. All I need now is for the Broad Street run to get canceled, and I'll be uh, two for two. We should be doing good of things that I'm trading for that I wasn't at all prepared for, but was going to do anyway. So, yeah, no. So, whack on track. I don't know. Verdict's out. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that happened. I mean, you know, it's a, it seems like a little bit of a mix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. I really enjoyed the class. I enjoyed uh, hanging out with the people in there. Uh, big ups to uh, Patreon supporter and all around awesome fella, Mr. Bruce Park, a.k.a. the Jinko Jesus, who uh, is actually taking. Well, I mean, classes were canceled because of the plague, but uh, he's, he signed up for the intermediate improv class as well. So he's he's moving his improv career further along. And uh, Jesus. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool, man. Not gonna lie. It's what if dope. what if what if we just don't understand Bruce's comedy and he suddenly becomes this like comedic superstar? Well, uh for longtime listeners of the show, you'll know that I already think that Bruce Park is a comedic superstar. And uh here's the thing, man. I've been in that class with that dude, and he's legitimately gifted at the art of improv comedy. <laughs> it's really, really, really fun to watch. That's Yo, awesome. he's that makes so, me so good happy. at it. He's so good at it. And every time I tell him, he's like, nah, nah, nah. But it's like, dude, it's effortless for Bruce Park. And my man kills. And I really hope that uh, the actual intermediate class has a class recital because I definitely am going to go to it. So, you know, just saying. But all right. So that's what I got. Whacking on track. We'll take a quick break, y'all. We're coming right back. We're going to talk about uh, Three Days of the Condor and The Night Visitor. Uh, You're awesome. See you in a second.
and we are back episode 108 of cinepunks so um the two movies that we decided to, that liam chose for us to watch this week were in service to our tribute to max von Sydow, the great uh actor who had passed away and um the two movies we picked were the night visitor and three days of the condor so um but liam you never saw either of these movies when you suggested them right no, um, my I, I chose the Night Visitor because I knew it was uh, I knew enough about it to know it was like a kind of thriller, um, maybe a bit of like a scary movie, though it's not. That's sort of what the poster kind of suggested to me, and I knew that some of the actors in it were familiar. So that was it the was real funny attraction. because the aggregator score on it. The I don't know if it was Rotten Tomato, but the the one score that I saw was like a thirteen percent, and I was like, oh, that's probably bad. But I don't know if it's thirteen percent to me. I thought it was higher no. than that. Yeah, and then Three Days of the Condor. I knew specifically that he was. I guess you could argue he's not the villain, but he sort of plays the villain for most of the movie. And I knew that that's the role. And I thought, well, that's kind of one of the things I love him for. You know, is those mm. roles, those like, uh, you know, it, well, in this film, it's not that hammy, but sometimes it can be him just like going crazy with it and so yeah uh, i, I weird figured well, i gotta ambiguity. see that yeah. yeah and you know you know i love me some 70s action films and i i figured this one would be kind of paranoid and considering we just did the conversation it was like well we're kind of going on a theme then of uh yeah films, and s- films that seem like they're inspired by watergate but are not and scenes of movies that have awesome fashion <laughs> yeah dude because let me tell you gene hackman in the conversation was the shit and then i saw this john and yo max von Sydow looks like a member of the specials in this movie it's so, so tough it's a hard look just saying so let's start start with the night visitor um josh you want to say a little bit of what's a night visitor about so the night visitor is about so um, Max von Sydow plays a character named Salem and you're introduced into the story where he's kind of like in the story, but also not present. It's three people in like a kitchen of a house talking and they're saying, well, if Salem was here. Salem didn't get locked up. So on and so forth. And he's actually at the house, like eavesdropping on this conversation. And it's like, it, it opens with Max von Sydow running through snow in nothing but like a t-shirt and boxer shorts and like boots. It's really weird. And then um, you get to this point where he's like listening in on these people's conversation and you recognize that there's something that had gone awry and how he was like part of this party, but is now no longer, but is sneaking to be a part again kind of thing. And um, basically the story is that um, he is somehow involved in a murder that gets framed on him. And through reasons of insanity, his lawyer has him locked up in an insane asylum in Scandinavia. And then um, he uh, figures out a way to like get out unnoticed. And he goes to enact revenge on these people that he deems the reason for his um, being locked up in this asylum. So um, yeah, it was see, here's the thing, right? Like, as a person that works in mental health, I always, and Liam knows this, you know this, like that uh, I have a hard time enjoying movies that in any capacity depict the plight of the mentally ill in any society. Like it's really hard for me just to kind of suspend disbelief and be like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's obviously just fine. It's part of the story and all that stuff. Uh, This movie was just so archaic to me and so foreign that like I was able to look past that in terms of like appreciating the movie. 
And to be fair, Salem is not, in fact, mentally ill. I mean, I guess you could argue maybe he becomes mentally ill, but I, I would, I don't think he's mentally ill at all. Not uh, until he, the end, anyway. At the end, I'm yeah. pretty sure he gets there, but then so does uh, the doctor guy. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's a weird fucking movie. Did you enjoy it? Well, so, okay, so this is the thing, right? Um, the question, viewer, uh, let's say up front we're going to spoil this movie, but here's the problem with the movie that may be a positive for you or it may not work. I could tell you that Salem didn't murder anyone, that his uh, sister and her husband murdered folks and set him up for it. And that now he's going to, you know, enact revenge by framing his brother-in-law for a variety of, of murders. And that's not a spoiler. That's how the movie starts. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, for sure. the the only tension is will everyone figure out what you the audience knows and i'm just not used to thrillers like that like i think if there was some question right then that might be a little more familiar but i don't know if that would be better or not like that's what i'm trying to I'm kind of struggling with a little bit. Yeah, so it's it's uh, definitely a weird inversion of the whole revenge trope in that you do know and that is right. really funny like but i mean like that's what makes the first half of the movie kind of interesting to me that like he's stealing right. neckties and you're like, why the fuck is he stealing a necktie? You know what I mean? There's, like, there's a whole sequence audience that uh, you don't know what's going on. Like he's doing stuff and you're like, why is this man in the got undies and boots on in the snow? Why is he stealing these things? What is he doing? And then there's this horribly menacing scene where he goes to murder this young woman who we find out later was part of the case against him. But in the moment, we don't know. And in fact, even the way she reacts to him, it's such a mix. Like her response is such a mix of dread, but also kind of acknowledgement that you're like, were they going to fuck or is he going to kill her? I don't know what's going to happen in this scene. It's really, really weird, man. I mean, that whole sequence is like, what the fuck is even happening right here? And then as it rolls out, as you realize, like you're like, oh, but it still doesn't sit right with me. You know what I mean? Like, it's still kind of like, I still don't like this. But um, well, it's it's weird because it's like you're I think to some extent the 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 thing on the surface is, is he going to get away with it? Is anyone going to figure out what he's doing? But then the thing under the surface seems to be and I don't know how this played out for you. Are you the audience going to identify with him or not? Like, yeah. it's like the movie yeah, is daring you. Like he is the victim of a horrible injustice, but is that injustice horrible enough to justify his revenge? And I think by the end of the movie, there's a part for me because of how a movie works that I want him to win because I've been with him this whole time. But there's another part of me that's like, I don't feel bad for him. Like I want him to lose. Like it's yeah. Cause like his winning entails the murder of like four other people. And it's, it's just a lot. It's it. Ah, it's rough, man. It's a rough, it's a rough watch. But well, at least one of those people, it feels like, didn't deserve it. His so he ends up killing two, both of his sisters, but only one of his sisters got him incarcerated. So why does he murder the other one? Yeah, I don't know. And she's like the one that seems to like be the proponent of like, well, if Salem were here, everything would be fine. And you know, before Salem left, everything was okay, even though he had a drinking problem, so on and so forth. So it's real. I mean, like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to identify the villains in this entire movie from front to back, I think, just because of that weird ambiguity. Like, why is he killing the good sister? You know, that has his back like that shit's fucking weird. But again, 
overall, I really enjoyed, I dug the look of the movie. Like, I really liked the yeah. way, like, it, I don't know um, if it's just uh, part of the transfer or whatever that we saw, but I really liked the way it looked in terms of, like, the starkness of mm-hmm. it. And um, the the look of the castle of the uh, Insane Asylum was actually really cool to me, just because it looked like, yeah. oof. I mean, I couldn't imagine working there. It looks more like a, a Scandinavian prison, really, than like what I would consider a therapeutic environment to assail your mind. But, you know, what up? Tomato, tomato. You know what I'm saying? To be fair, the detective comments on that, right? He's meeting with the lawyer, and the lawyer says, well, I just think spending time in the insane asylum is better than life in prison. And the, and the detective says, have you been to the insane asylum? <laughs> He's like, well, I don't see why that matters. And the detective says, well, I'm not sure there's much difference between the two things. Yeah, dude. And that detective looks like he's been through like 20,000 miles of rough road. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is brutal. But I mean, like, again, the look of the 1971 Scandinavia is pretty awesome. Like everybody looks really creepy and like kind of cool in it. And like everyone's got these like, I, they just it, it's funny how like um, the look of this movie is you could tell it was modern for the time. But looking back, it still holds that weird sense of modernity despite anachronism. And um, I really it's like- worth noting. It's worth noting that this was going to be an American production starring Steve McQueen. Yeah. And that would have been an entirely different movie than a Scandinavian production featuring Max von Sydow. Yeah, I think Max von Sydow is amazing in it, though. I, I do really love his whole plot and how he gets out of the out of the um, asylum. And he's like tying his bed sheets together. And he's got this whole like key situation set up where he plays chess with the guard who then he has to use like fishing wire and like this key setup that he hides in a clock that he has in his uh, cell. And ah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part. It was almost like, um, it was almost like an Indiana Jones or like a MacGyver kind of scenario from him getting out. And then like you realize why he's running in the snow in his underwear is because he has to use his clothes to make a rope to get past the hundred foot drop out of his window to the courtyard and all this other stuff. I really liked all of that stuff. I thought that stuff was fun. But um, I feel like that was sort of the mystery part of it was like, how is he able to do this? Like we see him do the stuff and then we see him back in his prison cell and the movie withholds from us for quite a while exactly how he's able to pull this off. And then I guess it's a little bit of a reveal what his angle is, like how he's going to finish this off. But it's also not really the big two big surprises are how he pulls it off, which is just the most exciting part of the movie is watching him defy death to get out of this insane asylum in a way where he can come back in. And then the second is the very, very end where you're like, will he make it back in time? Will he be discovered? What's going to happen? The end was pretty funny. What did you think about the parrot stuff? At first, I had no idea what the fuck the parrot was even saying. And I had to go to the IMDb. And um, the Salem's coming for dinner or Salem comes to dinner. That that's the line that the parrot keeps on repeating. And that was originally supposed to be the title for the movie. <laughs> sure. And sure. I only knew that by reading the trivia bits at the end of IMDb. <laughs> so. Well, there's also parts where the parrot is, is talking about. An, an, wait, is the guy's name Antoine or Anne? I forget the name. What's the name of the uh, doctor who ends up dying? Uh, that would be uh, dying, yeah, he's, Anton he's Jenks. 
Yeah, so the parrot also says, like, you know, get him, Anton, and stuff like that. So, I I mean, the irony of the parrot, right, is that the parrot is the witness, is the one true witness to the truth of the matter. Yeah. The parrot parrot is the only one who could save him, and then the parrot is the one that condemns him. Yeah, it's like the strange deus ex machina, like, this this weird plot device. And uh, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even sound like it's saying anything, but it's just like God. And then like so, there's a sequence where um, you know Max Vincito is discovered, where Salem's discovered by the doctor as he sneaks around in the house. So the doctor like kind of sees him hiding in a closet or whatever, and he gets away, and the doctor faints, and then like he hears the bird, <laughs> and he like crashes the cage, and he's trying to kill the bird, ah. It's it's like this strange guilt moment for the doc because then you realize that that was the bird that saw him murder the guy that got them in this predicament in the first place, and uh, but that whole sequence and then like the bird is like now in the house, and um, after all like the dust clears he still hears the bird shuffling around and saying Salem's coming to dinner and all this other stuff, such a funny plot device to me. It was one of those things I where think, it's like it was meant to be poignant and kind of like creepy and eerie, but it's also like a fucking parrot being like, <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think your point about Max von Sydow's Sydow, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Sydow's uh, performance, it is so good. But I also think, um, and I, I forgot her name, but the sister in the movie, Liv Ullman, the one who is in Persona with yes, him, yes, yeah, who's in Persona. Um, she's so good, and there's this. So the the way the film works out is, um, uh, she's trying to convince. She seems concerned about her husband, and it's unclear whether she's really concerned or if she's trying to sell him out because she's worried that they're going to get caught. But it it does seem legitimate that he that she thinks when Anton says that he's seen Salem escaped from the mental hospital that she thinks Anton's losing his shit. Yeah, she thinks he's so cracking she, up. So she gets the cops to come over and she tells this whole story that you know can't be fully true about it actually being her husband and her now dead sister who had put together this whole conspiracy and probably had killed the farmhand that now Salem is doing time for the, for the murder of. Um, and from there you can tell that she's off, that like you know, you know, as an audience member, that what she's saying can't be true because she's already talked to Anton about the murder. So then, but she's doing it so convincingly that like, she's a freaking psychopath. Like yeah. it really shows you the depth of her dishonesty. But it gets to a whole new level when she's in the barn. She's begging for her life and really trying to convince Salem not to kill her. And then at a certain point, she just switches and is just like trying to brow beat him into giving her the axe and it sort of becomes clear that every nice aspect you've seen of her every kind every soft moment every moment of her feeling threatened has all been bullshit that she is the ultimate manipulator and has been trying to get her way the whole time yeah and you you get such an intense and telling scene you get the sense that she's the mastermind behind this entire thing despite anton being the the main reason that the person gets killed and all that other stuff but you get the sense that she's like the one that came up with the plan to burn the house and all this other stuff and it all comes in that last scene when she dies pretty pretty intense guy i mean like dude, it's really good it's really I, I mean like i really enjoyed that part i thought that a lot of like the setup stuff was kind of boring 
But um, I really did like the whole like when the detective is like trying to figure out if Salem's actually getting out of his uh, cell at the mental asylum. And he goes there and he sees them like doing all these arts and crafts and stuff. And it's, I just think it's really that part was actually pretty funny. I just think as good as the stuff is of him actually escaping from the asylum, it's not high tension enough to hold you there uh, when the rest of the movie is kind of dragging. I think for a movie that has this small really of a budget and it's really, you know, it's exciting, but it's exciting because that's Max von Sydow <laughs> on a rope. Yeah. On a yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah. Like there's clearly no stuntman there. It's not special effects. And so like that's exciting, but like none of it is exciting enough to justify the parts of the movie that drag a little bit. Yeah. And I think those mov- moments wouldn't drag if the script was better and if the script spent more time trying to develop them as characters. And I think that's really what it boils down to is like, you know, Fonsito's giving this really intense performance. Liv Ullman is giving this intense performance. Uh, the other actors are doing the best they can. Some of them are really good. Some of them are not. But, you know, everyone's sort of showing up for this movie. But there's just not much to the script. Everything relies on the novelty of figuring out how he's doing it. And then the reveal at the end, like it's a very witty thing that the parrot is how he's going to be caught. And that's very witty. And I, and I applaud the wittiness, but the rest of the movie is not bad. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not engaging or interesting enough. Yeah. It doesn't Uh, move the tension evenly throughout the entire runtime. And I think that's the issue with it, that the ebbs and flows aren't natural feeling. And that um, the ebb parts are actually really distracting. There's, I mean, it's really weird to see, you know, Von Sydow hanging off the end of a roof or poised outside a window trying to stay warm in his underwear. Yeah. Like, that's all weird imagery. But, like, there's just not enough character there for me to care. Um, (laughs) I almost think it needs a better script. And it could be weirdly because it is kind of slow at times a little bit longer if it gave us context to care about these people you know but i mean the one sister dies before i even know who she is you know you don't really get a sense of what's at stake in terms of other other than property right like other than property and freedom you don't really get a chance to understand any of the motivations behind uh von cito's character despite how well he acted it out and despite how well he plays out the script like, you still are just kind of like, wait, was he a shithead before this happened? Like, I don't really understand. Like, they talk about his drinking. It's fine. But it's also like, yeah, I don't know if that's enough for me to really, like, give a shit that they're going to burn the house down. You know what I mean? Like, I don't it's, know. We, it's, it's strange because I think a lot of the movie is pretty good. Um, but, I, you know, my analysis is it's probably the script that the director's pretty good and the actors are good, but the script needed some work. But I'm not an expert. So maybe it's not that. But all I know is that it's not bad but i will say like the first time i tried to watch it it was later at night i i just went to sleep i <laughs> just straight up went to sleep despite being very engaged by the beginning i just went to sleep and i had to the you know the next day try again and on the second try i got through but it was like you know realizing like not all of this is working for me and again i, I not that that makes it bad but i just think it could be a better movie and and uh, if it if it maintained tension more evenly, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, well, it's still worth watching. He's great. He's really, really great in it. 
He's awesome in it. I love I love Max Moncito in this movie just because, again, like you said, like all the weird imagery of like him swinging from a rope 100 feet from the ground. That shit is fucking awesome. Like, when are you going to see that? That's not a thing. You know what I mean? So it's a thing in this movie, though. And that alone. Even the it, scenes like, like every time he engaged someone who he's about to like assault the look on his face. He doesn't look like he's about to have fun, really. No. It's always this crazy intensity. Like, this is just who he has to be now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, worth it. Worth it. Anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. If you can hear this, please... Contact our families. Tell them we can be found at... You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers. (laughs) So in contrast, we also watched another movie. What movie was that, Liam? Three Days of the Condor, based off the book, Seven Days of the Condor. <laughs> I loved this movie. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. What did you think? I mean, you know, a uh, uh, listener to the show brought up on Twitter like that they de- don't love this movie because they think the plot is a little weird. I will agree there is one part of this movie that really kind of bums me out and I think doesn't work that I'm sure probably works better in the book. Um, but I bring that up only to say everything other than that really does work for me. I think this is one of the better 70s action movies I've seen. I think it's really exciting. I think it's, you know, I've, I've been kind of confused a lot of my life by Robert Redford. Um, I haven't watched a lot of his like classic films, you know. Uh, and so it was cool to see him in something where I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's a movie star. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I- I've always just seen him as like a charming old man, but why does everybody love this charming old man? And then seeing him in this is like, oh, he's star power. Um, I think you didn't get that uh, after watching Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid though. I have never seen Butch. Cassidy You've never seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. No. Whoa. That's almost as bad as me never having seen Apocalypse Now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll just have to do we'll do we'll do a catch ups episode. We'll <laughs> rip off, we'll rip off Ryan's structure for uh, for shame uh, files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For shame files and do our own <laughs> version. But uh, yeah, but I mean, so I've never seen Bush Cassidy. So yeah, I don't. You know, I, there's a couple things I've seen, but just not that much. So it was cool to see that. Um, I I just think the paranoia. Like I love the idea that the where he is where. So okay, let's back up for those of you who don't know. Um, Robert Redford works for the CIA, but he's just an intelligence guy. He reads stuff. He works in the most low security CIA facility probably in the world. It's got one old man and a lady at the desk with a gun and that's it. And then everyone else are just nerds and they just knew nerd shit. And you get the feeling that the nerd shit they do might be kind of important, but it's certainly not essential nerd shit. It's just nerd shit. And so, uh, he there's certainly no one there is prepared for them to be uh under assault and one day when uh robert redford goes out to get lunch for everyone they are under assault max von Sydow shows up with some gnarly looking white dudes holding uzis and <laughs> in uh 
pretty extended scene that like somehow manages to work like this is not your action scene with lots of explosions this is a slow meditative scene where they slowly murder everyone there and yet it the tension builds it doesn't deflate each time definitely it's it's tension builds it's the kind of like hit scene that you would expect in a mafia movie where they like kind of move through this uh like so it's a cia branch uh, it's like the book agency or whatever but it's like disguised as like a new york public building or whatever so like there's a secretary and there's like a dude in the back that's a general and then there's like a guy with a toupee and then like an asian lady and they're all just working around machines and all this other stuff and max von Sydow shows up with his gang of goons and they have like these uzis with silencers and they're just kind of walking through every floor and just straight up capping people just like brap and then that's it they're just like lying there with smoke coming out of holes in their bodies and uh it's like Liam said, it's not exactly like the most like Michael Bay tastic explosion kind of like assault on Precinct Thirteen kind of thing, but it definitely is menacing. And I think, yeah, in large part, the menace is Max von Sydow is walking through really calmly, and he's Very like calmly. got glasses on and a hat. He's like got a jaunty little pork pie hat on, you know what I mean? And he's like got the accent. You're like, whoa, I don't know who this foreigner dude is, but he's evil. And he's just murdering people, like murdering motherfuckers up here. What the movie does really well is they set up Max Van Sydow just visually as like a Bond villain. He has yeah. he gives off all the vibes of a Bond villain. But then as the movie goes forward, no one trusts each other. No one trusts Robert Redford. By the way, the movie's called Three Days of the Condor because his code name is Condor. And so everyone from the from the uh, company refers to him as Condor, and that's how he has to identify himself. And you know he doesn't know who to trust. Every time he thinks he can trust someone, they try to kill him. Yeah, um, he gets his, the, he gets one of no his one in the company friends. trusts each other. He gets one of yeah, his yeah, only yeah, friends he, to be like. So after the murder, he runs right, and like after the hit yeah. on his thing, and he doesn't even know where to go. So my man Robert Redford has to call CIA from a payphone. And man, he's like talking to the director. He's like, "Bring me in. This is Condor." And he's talking to Cliff Robertson. Who's, by the way, real sleazy and awesome as like the CIA yeah. director Higgs in this movie, or Higgins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, like they don't know where he is, and he's in New York. And ah, oh, man. Oh yeah, this movie is also like a wild love letter to New York during that time, huh? What do you think? Very like, New York, but it also is, has DC. Yeah, it has other stuff too. It looks really like. I mean, it looks like. Um, like those old Scorsese movies that were New York centric, right? It looks like an old, like mean streets, like adjacent. It's pretty, it's, it's a beautiful image. Like I really do love the gritty New York city of like the late seventies, early eighties. And um, yeah, that's, I mean, despite that being the setting for this movie, it doesn't feel like it's a character in the movie, but it's an interesting backdrop for this like espionage, like spy pulpy. It's a very pulpy movie because like, well, it's, it's so paranoid in like a very cold. It's a, in, this is sort of the other day I had a student ask me about cold war movies and I was trying to think of some and I had never seen this so I didn't think to mention it but having watched it it's so much about the cold war and about the ways that like we think we have to lie and trick not just others but ourselves in order to 
like really participate in this thing that we're doing and uh it's haunting in that in that way uh but you know what i what, one of the things i wanted to say was that there's one aspect so robert redford is just keeps putting being put in situations where he's trying to escape and so out of desperation he takes this woman uh hostage and he really just needs a place to go and it's one of those situations where you know he's threatening her but he clearly doesn't want to hurt her but he has to maintain a certain level of uh, suggested violence in order to, you know, maintain control because he's fears for his life. And then, uh, of course, they fall in love. Yeah, like some weird Stendhal syndrome. That's what I'm saying. It's just this is uh, this is just one of those Hollywood things that I hate. And I think I, I think in seven days of the Condor that might. <laughs> even make a little more sense because you have more time for you to see them interacting and you can kind of sort of buy maybe not quite that they fall in love but if she's in the right place and he's in the right place they could have a connection that they care about each other that's real that happens but this movie's three days of the condor and so basically just in a day or so a day and a night you know before you know it she's putting her life on the line for him now of course you need that to happen or the movie doesn't work right like that he's only got so much time and he needs an ally and whatever so i get narratively why it makes sense but as a wa- as a viewer it just makes her seem like not a real person if she's just immediately like well i guess uh i guess i just like this guy now i mean he's got a gun <laughs> but he's pretty hot so i guess i just i just i'm gonna have sex with this man now and that's now who i love it's so if you actually stop and think about it if it, it's such a movie trope that i think people won't think about it when you're watching it but if you actually stop and think about it it's like oh that's so fucking gross like it's yeah, like no, it, but you know what though if robert redford kidnapped you and tied you to a bath uh, to a toilet bowl and then hung out with you for four days 1975 robert redford i bet you'd fall in love with him i mean he's no paul newman but i guess um <laughs> Sundance man he's Sundance just saying (laughs) Um, no I just think in a movie that actually I think mostly works and in fact it it takes a crazy turn towards the end so um, you know he he's he's manipulating everyone he's doing all these phone calls trying to figure out who's working for who trying to figure out Um, who's trying to get him killed right and at one point they figure out where he is he he goes uh to he goes and saves the now widow of his friend without telling her and uh max von Sydow or Sydow recognizes him and or, or identifies him and tries to take him out and then sends gets the the uh, address of where he's staying and sends um one of the goons to kill him and all this stuff sort of happens it's like constant tension or whatever and finally he ends up at the house of the person who's been behind this whole thing. Yeah. And he's there to get that guy. And Von Sydow shows up. And you're like, oh, no, that's it. You know, is this character's name Klaus, I think? His his character's name is um, it, Jobert. Jobert. Yeah. Jobert shows up. And you're like, well, that's it for Robert Redford. But actually, he's been sent by the company to kill this guy who's been behind the whole thing because that's sort of one of the questions that Redford always has is there's someone who's doing something nefarious, but are they doing it with the endorsement of the CIA or as a rogue within the CIA? And of course he figures out by the end, it doesn't fucking matter. He can do it because of the CIA, even if they authorized it or not. And it turns out 
they're they're okay with the idea, but they didn't authorize it to go forward the way it did. Uh, and that's not enough for Redford because he's, you know, a moral man. Side note, why are you working for the CIA? I just think <laughs> even by then, if you have a conscience, you should be working for the CIA. But the, put that aside. The point is, is that there's this amazing scene where you think uh, Von Sydow's there to kill him. Instead, he kills the guy and just lets Redford go. He has all this respect for Redford. And Redford's like, well, you're not going to get me? And he's like, well... The deal wasn't to get you. It was to get him. <laughs> I don't have a deal to get you. Wait, what? Well, you were trying to kill me before. He's like, yeah, that was my deal with him. But he's dead now. So uh, that we're done here. And there's such a cold calculation to Von Sydow's character that it it actually works. It's it, That moment actually thematically, logically, and narratively all works. Yeah, it's and so it good. it pushes the story and, forward. Dude, the best thing is that after he kills that dude in the house, like he loses the French accent, and suddenly like yes. this character who you know, you don't really know his name, like you... You know, because you see him having like conversations with people that hire him that his name is Joubert and all that stuff. But then he's also referred to by Condor as the Alsatian. They're like, yeah, he's maybe from somewhere in France, like Alsace. And like, so like he's known as the Alsatian in the movie. And then after he murders the the rich dude who's like uh, scamming the CIA and like using CIA resources to manipulate it so that he can have control over like oil fields in Iran and all this other stuff. Like his accent totally disappears after that guy gets murdered. And he's like talking with an American accent to Robert Redford. And it's actually a really, really fun heel turn, which I don't know if that counts as a heel turn because it's weird. No, it's not a heel turn. In fact, it's the opposite. He turns babyface, basically. Uh, because what it turns out is that he just. He's like a mercenary. You know, the CIA, like the CIA is invested in this thing. And so, like, the big reveal at the end is that the CIA, the issue here is that this guy executed the plan without authorization they like the plan yeah the plan to like take over uh, you know with the right kinds of assassinations you could take over the middle east and invade they're all for the plan they you just can't execute on the plan until it becomes the plan you know what i mean yeah, yeah we're yeah. all they, they sort of say we're all playing games we're testing out ideas we're all coming up with scenarios and some of those scenarios might happen they might not and uh you know reference like well this is just wrong though and, and then you know the guy's like well i'm wrong yeah it's the plan it's a good it's, it's just, actually a very good plan he just did it without our authorization that's the issue here and it's so upsetting to robert redford in that moment um and it's just so hard as a modern viewer there's some part of me that's like what the fuck you think was going on here huh robert <laughs> condor did you, you didn't know about this <laughs> you know what i mean like whatever but anyways all that to say going back to this weird thing with him uh with this love interest is that um i just think he could have convinced this person to help him without them having to bang um and it seems like a cheap narrative move in a film that i don't think has a lot of cheap i actually would defend the plot of this movie in a lot of ways it's just that decision to me felt like all right yeah, now they no. got all right i think whatever. that the entire emotional aspect of the relationship between faye dunaway and robert redford is could totally not be a part of this movie but if you look at like the the cover art for the vhs release it's like just a picture of the two of them like it's yeah like dude it's like come on guys like i mean i know that i think that's how they sold this time. movie yeah 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 for sure but uh, and I mean to be fair, also like, dude, 
Like, I get it. You've got Robert Redford, who's like the hottest actor of 1975. He's basically the character that Brad Pitt is playing in fucking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, he's that cool dude, you know? And you've got Faye Dunaway in 1975, who's like stunning, you know? Like, I get that this like sex appeal is definitely a huge part of the market, but the movie is such not that that it is very jarring when it happens in the movie. And further, this movie is released in 1975, just a year after the entire Watergate scandal has rocked all of uh, the American government, right? So to have this movie that's like an indictment of government agency and like has this like strange like futility for like the average person in terms of the government's dealings in the world under the guise of like doing it for a greater good it's a paranoid movie that earns the paranoia. It yeah. earns like the weird tension that is built. But when you put it in like the capacity for the um, surrounding climate, you realize like, yo, this must have been fucking crazy to watch in 75. Right. And I think that that translates yeah. in 2020. I mean, like, unfortunately, we, we live in such caustic times now that like that type of intrigue isn't such a foreign concept anymore that a government that would operate against the best interests and would be operating under the, like the vested personal interests of, of the players itself. It's not that weird of a story to tell in 2020. You know what I mean? I will say compared to what we eventually learn about the CIA and this did come out, not just around Watergate, but this came out around, there was a big scandal uh, with a bunch of CIA dirty tricks and tactics that ended up getting a certain amount of controversy. But I, it does feel a little naive watching it now. It feels a little like, um, you know, the idea like, well, he discovered this plan where the CIA wants to take out leaders in the Middle East to get access to their oil. Well, fuck, we all knew that's what George Bush was doing and we voted yeah, for that motherfucker. Yeah. Like, like the, the, the reality is that like it is paranoid and it does work pretty well, but it, I think it worked probably better then when it was like more of a shock to think like, wow, do you <laughs> think the government has plans to like overthrow foreign leaders so that we could have cheaper oil? Like then that's like, oh my God, that's, I mean, people accused the movie at the time of being political propaganda, partly because Robert Redford was in it, and he was such an activist type. People were like, "Oh, this is just a anti-Nixon propaganda. It's make you know conservatives look bad, whatever, whatever." Watching it now, you're like, eh, "It's kind of a middle of the road." <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Sort this of, isn't uh, exactly the most radical thing I've seen all year. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> but but that doesn't make it. I mean, that, that's not a criticism. It doesn't make it not compelling. It's still super compelling. It's just funny to think at the time that this was like edgy, and now it's like. This is nothing. Well, you know, come on. We were doing far worse shit than this movie is fictionally suggesting in the real world. So, like, it's just crazy to, like, watch it and just be like, wow, he uncovered something that we sold to Congress as an actual plan. Like, he basically uncovers an idea that's literally what Congress voted for after 9-11. So, yeah, you know, whatever. Ah, hey, that's it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's so good. And our man, Max von Sydow, he is, is so awesome in this stellar movie. Stellar. He's in it. so good in it. Just because, like, again, like the baby face at the end and, like, just the whole, the whole thing of how menacing he actually is in the movie until that point is just so good. It's so, it, it, in a lesser actor's hands, it definitely could have been a role that just got played as a plot device. 
You know what I mean? It could just right. be like just right. a thing. But it's him, so it has this extra dimension of earnestness to it. And I think that's kind of what I've always adored about Max von Sydow. Like, he's got this honesty to his craft. Yeah. That regardless of what the role is, you buy it. And I don't really think... I mean, like, dude, think about how many people can play a CIA agent and can play a fucking priest fighting a ghost with right. equal aplomb and equal credibility, you know what I mean? Like that's uh, it's a demon. It's a demon, not a ghost. Please, right. please Josh, Sorry. respect the mythology. Sorry, my bad. Sorry, Justin. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I like it. that you got specific. <laughs> yeah, no, Max von Sydow. Though seriously, I don't really think that there's going to be another actor in my lifetime that I'll get to see do things that he's done. That'll be for as... a guy for for a dude who doesn't change his appearance. Like if you think about it, he doesn't do a lot of like prosthetics. He doesn't do a lot of like losing or gaining weight for a guy who always kind of looks like himself in movies. He has one of the broadest ranges I've ever seen in a believable way. It's not like you see him in something. You're like, Oh, he's just being a fucking crazy person. Yeah. It's like, like, Oh, there's Von Cito doing Von Cito again. Like, no, it's not. It's, it's so good. And so, I mean, I would say, I think, um, only check out the night visitor if you're really trying to be a completist. I think, I, yeah, I, it, which is okay. I, I think we both liked it, but it's not compelling enough to be like, "Yo, you got to find it and see." It. It's just yeah. like it was pretty good, you know. It's this. It's it's three days part of, of it condor. is like a completist thing. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, but I, three days of the condor. Like, if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out, especially if you enjoy seventies thrillers you know i i would say action but it's more it's more uh espionage thriller. Yeah. yeah espionage than it is like action uh though there are some sequences like chases and stuff that are pretty cool i would agree yeah 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 no i definitely think you should see it but also if you want to know more about max von Cito, of course i would suggest the bergman movies like seven seal i think is like you know that's like critical you have to see that movie and uh, if you want to see Max von Sydow at top wild four, strawberries. wild strawberries, but also The Exorcist, man, like that movie is, yeah. he is brilliant in that movie. And that movie is as scary and as big a part of like the lexicography of our cinematic landscape because of Max von Sydow in that movie. I mean, is yeah. lexicography a word? Is that a real word? I hope so. I, mean, I don't know. Like I, I like sincerely am asking. I don't know if like I, I used it. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that worked. That's how that worked out. So well, we'll we'll. I'm sure we're going to talk more about Max von Sydow probably before the year is up because we're going to do another Bergman double at some point, and uh, we'll probably pick Max von Sydow Bergman movies. May- maybe not, but probably probably we will. <laughs> so uh, be ready for that. Uh, yeah. So that's that's it for for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who posts about us. Really, if you share on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, on Facebook that you're listening and that you like the show, that's really the best thing for us. Uh, we also really would like it if you use iTunes to rate and review on iTunes. Um, and uh, if if you, for some reason, are one of those folks who's uh, – who's not afraid of the you know coming uh death recession and you want to support <laughs> us on patreon you know i i think we're doing good work not just here but across the network and and that money really goes not just for this show but for the whole cinepunks network to cover uh costs and things like that and 
hopefully eventually we'd love to be able to pay people for the work that they're doing but we can only do that with y'all's support i think it's worth it but you know decide for yourself and and think about if it's worth it to you we're just glad that you checked it out and we hope that you are getting through right now not feeling too bad yeah and hopefully we if you want us to talk about anything or if you just want to talk to us you can hit us up on all the socials and um you know we like to serve the purpose of trying to make people feel less isolated and feel more connected so that's the whole purpose of this entire endeavor from day one yeah i agree i agree that's true so so hey cool thanks for listening listening. and uh, like liam said rate review subscribe and we will talk to you later smoke bomb do you like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're gonna love car business the horror podcast on the cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky my name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.